Our sessions were as luxurious in appearance as they were in general restoration. We'd booked 12 weeks of studio time, a fantastic amount of leeway, given that my first record was cut in a total of 24 hours, and this year's model in a mere 11 days. We turned our studio into a fancy playroom filled with new toys. I bought myself a marimba and a xylophone and a big, shiny, new acoustic 12-string guitar. I also purchased an accordion, although it took three of us to wrestle any music out of it, laying the instrument on a table so Steve could play the keyboard while one of us worked the bellows and the others held the beast in place. We hired a harpsichord and an orchestra. Isn't this how the Beatles had done it? I don't know. Maybe we should have gone down the hall to ask one of them. But of course we never did. We employed instruments that we wouldn't even have admitted to liking back in 1977, especially the Mellotron, which was then about as far out of style as flared trousers. I hadn't seen one of those things since a man tried to sell one to my dad in the 60s. He was the father of a lad I knew, and some sort of sales representative for the Mellotron Company. He claimed to have the future of music sitting in the front room of an ivy-covered house next to our parish church in which Dickens had briefly dwelt. One Sunday after Mass, we were invited to a demonstration of the newfangled gadget. My dad was a little skeptical that a machine could actually replace an entire orchestra. But as he was singing in front of a bunch of grouchy saxophone players every night, I suppose the proposition might have held some appeal. I remember the Mellotron as being very impressive in size like the kind of organ that Vincent Price played in, the abominable Dr. Vibes. But this is probably my memory playing tricks, because all of the pictures I can find now show an instrument on a rather more modest scale. Our host switched on a contraption. With the flourish of a stage magician, he depressed a couple of the keys, and out came a wobbly recording of voices that sounded appropriately like monks chanting in a horror film. He pressed some buttons on the console, and on the sound switched rapidly from a drunken brass band to a pair of waterlogged flutes. Another triggered a recorded drum pattern that resembled someone repeatedly kicking a suitcase full of spoons. Eventually, my dad was persuaded to try out the instrument, but the split-second delay between depressing a note and the head engaging with a tape loop within the cabinet made it nearly impossible for him to play in time. It seemed those jobs in the orchestra would be safe from this particular musical miracle for some time, and we left without placing an order? Needless to say, it was this disjointed, 
and otherworldly qualities that made the Mellotron so attractive to psychedelic musicians. We took for granted many of the woozy sounds and extreme recording processes that were first dreamed up by engineers like Jeff Emmerich, Norman Smith, and their colleagues at Abbey Road. Jeff was just a young man of 20 when he took on the engineering work in Revolver and went on to make his reputation with Sergeant Pepper. 